Hello everyone, and welcome to Midweek Metagame. I'm Gabriel Nassif, joined by my two regular co-hosts, Patrick Robertson. Good evening, everybody. And Canister. Hi. Well, 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 another two weeks, and honestly, looking back, I'm not even sure what happened. I feel like I've got nothing to talk about, but I'm joined by two incredible co-hosts. Canister went to Bologna, live event, big modern event, two weeks before the Pro Tour, three weeks before the Pro Tour. And Pat's been crushing leagues with Merktide, so he can tell us why everyone's wrong and Merktide is not a dead deck or not. So yeah, it's going to be all modern this week. And let's get in the action. You know, Canister, once again, you, you travel to a live event. You seem, you must enjoy interacting with people in real life. And uh, how was it? Certainly, certainly. I was not uh, a player in Bologna. I was actually on the coverage team. I was a commentator. I was covering the, the event together with uh, Skura and a commentary duo team. I think it was uh, pretty fun and I think we did a decent job, if I may say so. And uh, it was a pretty cool thing to watch a tournament, you know, see what technology people brought, see how much uh, the one ring was there in the event because I'm not sure if you know but uh, I think 60% of the decks in the event were playing the one ring oh, wow. yeah which is a pretty crazy amount especially like since you might think that you know it's a paper event and like the release was not too long ago and the card is pretty expensive but you know probably most people who were interested in getting them they just got them and they played them and there was uh, a lot of uh, the one ring, especially at the top tables, and it was showing up in various archetypes, uh, from from coffers to Tron to other variants of Ramp, a bit of Focolor, plenty, plenty of stuff. Yeah. And with that, we've also seen some pretty cool counter technologies. For example. One of the rounds I was covering deep into day two, uh, we were covering a match by Timur Rhinos featuring cards like Bonecrusher Giant, which you know makes sense. You can use Stomp to uh, break through the protection from the One Ring, but more shockingly, one copy of Questing Beast in the main deck and one copy of Questing Beast in the sideboard, which I guess serves exactly. The same purpose, but it's a pretty funny way to get around that problem. Right, so this is to get around the protection ability, yeah? This is like the 18th line of text on Questing Beast that no one's ever read? Yes, exactly. That's the ability uh, that you didn't know it existed, but... Not very good. Questing Beast says that combat damage that will be dealt by creatures you control cannot be prevented. Which yeah, comes in pretty, very handy, I guess, protection from everything from the One Ring. It used to be used against... Fog effects, moments piece. I thought you were gonna mention commandeer. I've heard, I've heard uh, people were playing commandeer in, in rhinos, trying to maybe steal mm. the one ring or steal Teferi. And I kind of want to try that card in living and now see if it's any good. It's it's a That'd lot of crazy. yeah, it's a lot of investment. It's seven mana, or you can pitch two blue cards to pay for free. 
and you basically get to steal someone's spell. So I guess the logic for me anyways would be that it gets around Delighted Halfling into Teferi or Delighted Halfling into the One Ring, which can be really rough for Living End player and I'm assuming a Rhinos player too. Well, it's also like much bigger blowout, right? You just kind of take that spell, which is presumably powerful, and then like you have it, right? Be yeah, it yeah. Teferi or the One Ring. The card draw helps to recoup the, the card disadvantage from, from Commandeer as well, which is like a, a trend we're seeing kind of all over the place. More griefs, more solitudes, more furies, more subtleties, all this sort of stuff, because you can just draw, you know, three, you know, six cards off one ring in a short order and make up that lo that loss. Yeah. Yeah, when you have all the cards and zero mana cards become much better, That is that is for sure, and that is a good point. I think I've played against somebody with Commander today in a in a prelim. I was playing with Tron and I only got to I think it was Rhinos, yeah, it was Rhinos with Commander. I only got to see their Commander once I Mindslaver locked them with with Academy Ruins, so it didn't do too much, but it was pretty cool to see. I wanted to ask what deck you were playing that you were playing Academy Ruins Mindslaver. It was Tron. I've been I've been playing a little bit of Tron lately. It was mono green Tron. Uh, okay. I've been playing a a prelim with a, a little bit of an interesting variant of Tron, which is from Bologna to 28th place by Marcin Klimushko, who's also a fellow Paul and stayed with me uh, with us at the same hotel. Uh, I was trying out his build of Tron in the prelim earlier this morning because he takes quite a bit of a different route than many players do uh, I don't know if you've heard like that but or if you've paid attention to Tron decklist but I think the like what is in vogue right now what is uh, popular is to downplay the powerfulness of current liberated and many lists just kind of drop it entirely what do you think about that I think, uh, yeah, go, go I think it kind of makes sense because it's not that impactful. A lot of time you have to minus it and it dies to a bolt. So I could see it. I feel like I'm usually scared of their four mana cards because, you know, they're cheap and they get around spell pierce. You get Tron. A lot of the decks, you know, whether it's creativity, play spell pierce. Um, and, you know, these cheap threats are scary. And then Ulama because. You get the trigger, and it's just a really, really powerful effect. And even if you're decently ahead, Ulama can just catch them up. And I guess Karn is somewhere in the middle, and kind of easy to counter, kind of easy to get rid of. So I could yeah, see I've it. I've certainly been more afraid of cards like Karn, the Great Creator, and Ugin the Ineffable. So the six mana Ugin Planeswalker than I have, have them casting seven or eight mana spells. You know, there's you're, you're afraid of, of the spell pieces in my deck as well, so yeah, those cheaper threats get around that pretty effectively. So, so you're afraid of using the ineffable? That is interesting. Mostly just because it's a, it, it makes everything else play around spell pierce. It gets it ducks, it ducks under it. It can be cast under blood moon sometimes, uh, and it depends what depends what deck I'm playing. But mostly I'm playing decks with lots of spell pierces in them, and just having that kind of stream of two twos to. It's not particularly fun. All right, I see. So 
you know, I I do I would agree that Karen Liberated maybe hasn't aged extremely well. And uh, you know, back when Modern was new, what which was which was like what, 2012, so like ten years ago. Uh people used used to play to tap their free throne lands to play Karen Liberated and was just the best thing ever. And everybody was scared of the turn free Karn and it was just you know, you put it on the stack and your opponent just considered the game very often. Mm. Not not as powerful anymore so i can sympathize with the argument that it's uh, like past its prime and it's not a great card to play even in a tron deck and you'd prefer to go with the other options although i have to say that i'm not fully and uh, immediately convinced that other cards that you could play in those slots other tron payoffs are necessarily all that more exciting and better right cards like wormhole engine or like lately the popular cityscape leveler i'm not like fully excited to play those either right they also come with many drawbacks especially wormhole engine against solitude decks that's just kind of embarrassing i think sundering titans my kind of most feared creature that they could be casting for the most part before they could 10 mana of course mm, yeah sundering titan is very powerful but also kind of narrow in a way it's definitely it's it's maybe not narrow but high variance and how powerful it actually is at hosing your opponent. Certainly yeah, the best thing ever against four color. Right? Yeah, vanilla seven ten is not particularly great. But I... to circle back to the variant of the Tron deck that I was I was playing from Klimushko, it actually doesn't play any creatures at all. All of its threats are planeswalkers. So there is thirteen planeswalkers in the deck. There is four current liberated for Karn the Great Creator, three Eugene's the Ineffable, and two Eugene's the Spirit Dragons. And besides that, there is no Oblivion Stone, but instead the deck is running Ensnaring Bridge, which is a tool that I guess synergizes with Planeswalkers, so it makes uh, sense that it is built that way. And now you ask me, why did I have it the Mindslaver lock in my Tron deck? That is because Klimushko opted to run an Academy Ruins and a single Breeding Pool. I guess to have a little bit more extra power in the late game, because as I said, no creatures or no Ulamogs in the deck. Sometimes you're gonna instanting bridge somebody and they're gonna get locked, but you need some more power in your deck to, to get them. And then Karn the Great Creator for Mindslaver, which then possibly you can loop with Academy Ruins, comes in that role. So how are the ensnaring bridge? Were they better than Oblivion Stones, or did you run into awkward spots where they were just not that good? I guess it's not really an awkward spot because it doesn't really screw you over. It could stop your 2-2 two -two tokens from Ugin from attacking, but what did you think of that list in general? Yeah, th there wasn't really issues with me not being able to attack because, as a, well, once again, no creatures in the deck for the most part, but... Certainly, I've run into some some awkward spots with Ensnaring Bridge. From from talking with uh, Klimushko himself about this deck, one of the main reasonings and ideas behind the Ensnaring Bridge is first being able to double spell, which you know you, you like make Tron, then you go turn three, you have seven mana, so you can play Ensnaring Bridge and the One Ring or Current Great Creator. So that's kind of awesome and good at fighting through counter spells uh assuming that your opponent's deck is vulnerable to a bridge which is true for black merktide but not really for blue white control right 
and uh, on top of that, Insanic Bridge is also a pretty cool way to try to fight Calm and Blood Moons specifically, because uh, it's not too hard to go below like four cards in your hand, and then you can actually stop like a Fury with plus one plus one counter from attacking you, and you have a decent amount of time to build your mana without Tron available through through a Blood Moon. Yeah. That said, those are the ideas, but in practice, there, have, there has been some issues with those lines, and, you know, I died to a Fury, for example, anyways, because I got to play my bridge on turn 3, but uh, my opponent, like, I, I, didn't, I didn't get to empty my hand quickly enough, so I died anyways. Yeah. I'd be pretty scared of playing against bridge as a living and player in game 1, but then I feel after mm -hmm. sideboard, I wouldn't mind as much, and you know, in some ways, I could see it being worse than Oblivion Stone after sideboard once people have access to Force of Vigor and Breaker. I had one question. I don't know how much Tron you've played besides this list, but how good has the One Ring been at fighting off cards like Blood Moon, Boseju, and Alpine Moon? It's decent. It's pretty good at doing so. Uh, to an extent... Because if it's paired by paired with pressure, you're still gonna have trouble, right? So as I as I mentioned that exact game where my opponent had a blood moon and also like a ten one four for fury and a blood moon, and I just like don't get to empty my hands, and like the wandering is not gonna help me in a situation like that. I didn't get to empty my hand for a saying bridge in the first place, right? Uh, or cast anything because there was a moon in play. But uh, if it's like, it's very good at letting you play the game through some disruption that is not backed by much pressure. Okay. So I would say that the Wandering is, for example, really good at letting you rebuild from getting possessed by a four color deck, maybe even like two or three times. If you if you get the the one ring early enough, you don't need to have Tron. Eventually, you're gonna draw like a relic of Progenitus or Karn the Great Creator for Tormod script, stop their Ren from being able to loop the same Bosejo over and over, and then you get to rebuild Tron and win. It's really good in those those games I found. Okay, from so both sides. Pretty effective against something like Omnath, but maybe not as effective against something like Scam. Yeah, so that's what I would say. So how how did you know, how how did how did it look like Tron went in in Bologna though? You see much of the top tables there. Yeah, there was actually a decent amount of Tron. It was actually the most popular deck in day two. Wow, really? That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. There were sixty four people on day two of the of the event, and I think eight of them were Tron players. So like not by a huge margin, but it was yeah. the most popular deck right. in in day two. And that's, that's I think. Yeah, I think none of them uh, managed to convert into a top eight, but there is like I'm looking at the results right now. There is a few in like top thirty two. Yeah, I see three on three on the front page at least. The top twenty five. Yeah. Okay, but so so clearly the kind of the the, the headline from from Bologna was that the one ring is kind of everywhere and people were putting it in various different archetypes. What was the most impressive shell you saw for it? The most impressive shell I've seen for it. Um, 
This is an interesting question because you kind of could say four color, right? Because it's kind of like the best at maybe using the ring or like it fits there in a way that makes the most sense. But at the same time, while four color was present there and like was, I think, winning a decent amount, although not an exorbitant amount, uh, it kind of like showed that the thing that I disliked about Yorion decks of the past kind of is kind of still existing there. The like innate passiveness of the deck makes it so that you often put yourself in that situation where you have to fend off threats from like all the sides and you cannot uh, stop all of them. So there's been Tron, there's been a, a few Koffer decks, which was also pretty interesting to me. Yeah, right, so for the life of me, screaming a lot of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, I cannot understand those decks at all, and they look extremely unappealing to me. I think they are a little bit more in Gab's wheelhouse, right? Yeah, Spike's been playing mostly a list without coffers. I played a tiny bit was and against a coffers deck. I was never super impressed. I do like the latest list from. Rest has been um, doing well with the deck, and maybe mm-hmm. a few other people, but. Basically, they cut Profane Tutor, they're playing usually 2-4 to four Night's Whisper, and they're also just playing more lands, no Expedition map, just I think the latest versions are up to 27 lands. So, kind of streamlined a bit, more lands, more Night's Whisper, and I, I might give it a, a little shot just, just to see. Um, but uh, yeah, these decks got a, a huge, huge boost from the One Ring. Yeah, I just opened the top eight decklist from Bologna by Enrico Mercurio of Coffers. It is indeed a 26 lands deck, four field of ruin, four demolition fields. So it it is really scary to play against something like that when, like, when you play Tron when they are on the play, because you just never get to assemble your Tron ever. Basically, they just get to destroy your land every turn. And then there is also four Knights Whisper indeed. Yeah, Dalit has Invoke Despair, which is a little surprising given how weak it is against the One Ring and Veil, but I guess it's not like they have protection from the One Ring, the One Week, the One Ring every turn. I'd be surprised if, if Invoke Despair was a, a decent choice, especially considering the amount of spell pierce that are going around at the moment. Yeah. Oh, you, just, you just pay for a spell piece, right? Your coffer stop for. Oh, right, right. Mana. Okay, sorry. I forgot that everything's going perfectly. Yeah, no, I, I, I understand. But yeah, we could maybe go over the um, decks played in Bologna, the most played deck. The most played deck was Five Color Creativity, so creativity in general. And it had a 46.5% win rate, so not great. Ragdos Cam was the second most played deck, and it had pretty good win rate, 525 it won the tournament, is that right? And it won the tournament, yeah. Against Yeah, I have a question for you before we move to the third deck. Uh have you actually played against any creativity online since the release of Lotr? No. I don't no. think Zero? so. I don't yeah, think I so. Think it... And I was talking to someone today who's been playing creativity for a long time, for months now, and they're like, that deck's just so mediocre now. I don't know what to do. I think they're qualified for Barcelona too. One of my viewers, and they're like, "What should I play?" I'm lost. So it makes sense, yeah, right? They got nothing new, and a bunch of decks got some good cards. Like, and 
the good the cards are good against you, right? The one ring's really good against you. It steps Archon and it kind of just overpowers what you're trying to do. You can probably easily overpower an Archon with a bunch chaining the one rings. And yeah, exactly. So you're not especially good. I mean, you have binding stuff it, you have spell pierce and reprieve, maybe, but still, um, that stuff. And then Bowmaster's really decent against you, right? It pressures Planeswalker well. It can ping the the tokens, the dwarf tokens. So kind of makes so sense. So it is right? interesting to see that you know I also haven't played against any creativity online. Maybe maybe one match in the past, like what 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 was it? Two or three weeks. And uh, yet, in Bologna, it was the most popular deck, which I think is probably because it was a paper tournament and just kind of people defaulted to... Some people defaulted to what they had would be an explanation of the disparity. Yeah, just a little paper lag. Yeah, a little bit of lag here. There was like creativity. I have to... I have to... Uh, sure, go on. I was going to say there was Duke 12 before the prelim yesterday with creativity, but they they had an approach at free archons and one attracts us. So maybe trying to overpower the one ring in some ways, having that, you know, extra, extra creature in the main, that, that might mm -hmm. be an option, yeah. just diversifying. I was thinking about it. Maybe instead of playing archons, you just play one archon, one attracts out, one sundering titan, just because you need. And, and kind of try to play the game in a ways that you're going to creativity for two and not just for one in a lot of spots. Um, who knows? They also had an Emrakul in their sideboard. Not sure if it's yeah. that's for creativity or more for male, but probably both. It certainly feels like the format's got evolved to a point where them resolving an Archon isn't like the end of the world. You can, you can recover from that. Whereas maybe it wasn't like that prior to one rings and then the knock-on effects that brings with it. Maybe, maybe you need some other creatures. The the wildest creature I've ever seen in a cyborg of a creativity deck was a single copy of It That Betrays. Do you know this card? No. Is that the one that looks through your sideboard for other Eldrazi? No, no, it's... I have to look it up because I don't know the exact stats. <laughs> okay. But it's I mean, a very I... expensive... Yeah, it's a 12-mana Eldrazi, an 11-11 creature with Annihilator 2, and whenever an opponent sacrifices a non-token permanent, put that card onto the battlefield under your control. Right. So I would say it, it looked really cool, but it probably wasn't very good. And probably doesn't like really start to solve any meaningful problems. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see if, if people, uh, you know, Shop with creativity in Barcelona if it's still good. If maybe people are dead, it is a really strong shell. It was arguably the best deck before the new set. So it might just be that people are just trying the new decks, also. That's maybe why you don't play against it because they didn't really get anything new. So they're just trying other stuff. People who are testing for the Pro Tours are trying the, the new cards for now. And who knows, maybe, maybe some of them will go back to that deck. And and we'll see uh, we'll see it do do well in Barcelona. Anyways, next was Living End. Uh, Dead even, fifty percent. Yeah, fifty point five. Not a bad showing, you know. Classic Living Ends. Yeah. Um, and then in, in thick we had Merktide. Want to tell us the win rate of Merktide, Pat? Uh, I think it's 
42.4%. Yeah. It did make but, it all the way to the finals, though. Yeah, it did make it all the way to the finals. I have no, I have nothing to say yet. All right, so I think, if, if I you... can, no, no, I will. I, I, I think there's some element of why creativity was the most played deck as to why this was also a, a pretty heavily played deck that performed poorly. It didn't gain anything from the new set. In fact, it became more vulnerable in spots if you just rocked up and played what you were going to you were going to play before Lord of the Rings came out. And so people who just turned up with what they had probably got bodied pretty hard. Yeah. Would you say Bowmaster or the One Ring is a bigger problem for Mark? Oh, Bowmaster by, Bowmaster by a wide margin. The One Ring doesn't even matter. Like, your, your entire deck is designed to punish people who want to cast four mana sorceries. Yeah, my, like, at first I was thinking that the One Ring is not going to be even that good like in modern because after all... It is a four mana sorcery speed card, and like it doesn't really match up yeah. all that well against the card counter spell. Yeah, I, I'm honestly wondering how long it's going to be the the hottest the hottest thing in the, in the format. I, I I don't think it's a sustainable thing to be like the top dog in the, in in modern. But there's just so many tools available to be hostile against that card. Whereas a card like Orcish Bowmaster is exactly what you know what what fits the kind of the mold of a great modern card that's ex that exists for a long time. It's like, it's punishing against people drawing cards. It's instant speed. It's two mana. It makes multiple bodies. It controls small creatures at the same time. It's just kind of does everything you need to do in a format like modern world. I just don't think the one ring has got the, got the staying power. Well, we'll see. It kind of seems to be, to be doing that, but that's, that's pretty strong assumption. Okay. Don't, get me, don't get me wrong. I, I, I recognize that it's very, very powerful on the surface, but just like you said, I, I, on its on its face and face value, I don't see how it's sustainable as the kind of premier card in the format. I just I just don't think modern's ever going to be in a place where format of sorceries are the thing that you do and no one can stop you. I mean, it could just be overpowered, right? It could be just. Too, too good of a coward. Then. I, I suppose, yeah, if you just resolve it, it's just lights out and that's that, and that one turn it buys you is, is enough to kind of change change, change the dynamic. And, but there's just a lot of tools available to stop cards like that, whereas there are less tools available to stop cards like Bowmaster. Yeah, but like, given that we like assume that Merktide is bad right now, so if that is true, then like the main counter spell decks are going to be control decks, and Many of the builds I've seen of control just play play the one ring too as a way to you know to have a finisher to refuel. Yeah, it seems way better than than the previously used planeswalkers. Oh, certainly, it's Three, definitely a massive of Dominaria upgrade or Jace. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not disputing that it's powerful. I'm not disputing that it's a great upgrade to all those sort of kind of like expensive card advantage spells that you would put into those decks. I just yeah, I just don't see how it can be like defining in or uh, across the board for for well, in the long term. We'll see then. Well, one thing yeah. is that Bowmaster is just not that great in some matchups, whereas it feels like the one rank's always going to be decent in every matchup or very good. What What are the matchups where you were unhappy with Bowmaster? No, I mean, I'm just saying in something like Living End, it can pressure you a bit, but it's not super high impact usually. It, it's fine, it's fine, but you know, I was thinking maybe against Tron, do you Probably pretty happy if your opponent plays Bowmaster on turn two. I think that is a little bit not true because the chromatic stars and chromatic spheres tend to add up, and it's 
you kind of need to crack a lot of them sometimes in some games depend on depends how many you draw but i've certainly died to a turn two bowmaster before because i just need to cycle three times and it was actually pretty fast clock then okay fair enough yeah no i guess i've been in these spots uh especially uh i've been trying out fable of the mirror breaker in the cyber of living end and fable and living end wow and bowmaster has been an issue in some spot or when i was playing the goryo decks against cards like tainted indulgence or fable it definitely kind of adds up um for sure yeah. there's there's there one spot where i actively dislike bowmaster it's like not even a matchup it's kind of a gameplay spot when my opponent casts a Renin 6, then the Bowmaster is, is kind of really bad. Kind of like, well, maybe it's not really bad, but it's really unexciting. Because even if they, even if you're on the play, you pass with two mana up, they play the Ren, they pick up a land, and you flash a Bowmaster, you ping Ren, and you attack it for two. You don't even get to kill the Ren, and like it gets to ping back your Bowmaster, and it kind of feels like an un unfavorable exchange all around and uh, i've had a little bit of an issue with that but i haven't played with bowmaster's decks all that much yet yeah you get two for one but it could be worse especially against turn two ren it's still serviceable but i've I've kind of liked it in these spots actually it like softens up ren or all right i guess it forces them to ping the bowmaster then ren actually dies so yeah it, 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 you still have a one-one, right? They get an extra land, you get an extra one-one. They win, but not the not by a ton. They could also just tick up Ren to two, and then play something that deals with one of your two creatures. And then they're in a holding pattern. Yeah, yeah, but that's just like Ren being Ren, and not really exactly. like a blowout exchange. Yeah, it's not. And it's not a criticism of Bowmaster necessarily. That doesn't okay. line up perfectly against everything. Yeah, I guess, I guess like your original question was, which do we think is the bigger the bigger detriment or what am i what are we more afraid of and from my perspective it's it's been bowmasters i'm much more annoyed about bowmasters than i am about the one ring when i'm playing murktide yeah but i'm also mm -hmm. like i'm also learning to adjust so do you think murktide is good bad do you think it's kill intensive and that's why it doesn't do so well because you know there's I, it's kind of you know, some people will say it's kind of a copium take, but you know, yeah. some people will say no. It's you know, it's a classic. Oh no, my deck's good. It's just like too many people playing it and bad players playing it. That's why it's yeah, it's doing poorly. But in Merc side case, you do have all zero, one, two mana spells, all cheap spells, which means more decision every turn. And I think it does make sense that a deck like that would be, um, you know, harder to play than a deck where. You know, play your Ren on turn two, play your Teferi on turn three, or, you know, a Tron deck. Yeah. I mean, I will say that it's gotten harder for it. Uh, you know, it hasn't, it hasn't gotten better. I think that's that's probably the best way to phrase it. I, I, I still enjoy, I enjoy playing it, which is why I choose to play it. And I think I'm pretty good at playing it. Um, there are definitely spots where I find myself doing things that I don't, that, that don't look surface level intuitive you know, i win a lot of long games where it doesn't look like i'm in the game but you know you're, you're, you're chipping away you're, you're you're gaining small advantages and those are about being patient in spots where maybe you don't feel like you you can afford to be patient i mean for example i beat omnath the other day 
and they left it on that in play for four turns and dealt me 16 damage. And I could have countered it, and I could have killed it twice, but I didn't because I needed to be patient. Uh, these are kind of the sort of things that maybe someone who's just picking up the deck or not, not, and not really familiar with that sort of archetype might, you know, not find themselves into spots like that, and they might just, you know, just throw their cards on the table and 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 get punished by the thing that you're supposed to be playing around. But I don't. I don't blame people for shying away from it. I mean, every now and then I, I kind of like tease you and tell you that you should just play this deck. And every time you pick it up, you seem to do pretty well. But I, I actually feel like you've got a relatively healthy amount of respect for it. Whereas you can look at the... Yeah, you can look at the 42% win rate and be like, okay, this is the fourth most played deck and I got absolutely dumpstered. There must be something wrong with it. There must be better choices than this. And yeah. I think that boils down to there There's probably are better choices than that. But I don't think it's inherently bad. And yeah. for a lot of the reasons you suggested, like it has lots of cheap cards, you have a lot of play, and you get to just work your opponent sometimes. Yeah, I played a bit with it this week. What did I play? A couple leagues? I forget, but I was, I was doing okay. It felt fine. I tried your tech Underworld Breach sideboard in matchups where Merktide's not so great, so maybe against yeah. Somnaf. Want to talk about that a bit more? Right, yeah. So I. Did that just? I'm trying to remember who gave me the idea. I was I was watching Andrea stream a little bit for maybe like 15 minutes in the morning, and he was kind of talking about fair breach, and you know I kind of asked him where he thinks it's got a big advantage, and he's like, oh, I think it makes your Omnath. I think your Omnath matchups much better. And I asked him why, and then he didn't answer. And I thought about it some more, and those, so those matchups were Merktide's. Murktide's really good on turn three, and you protect it, and you can kind of close games really effectively in game one like that. But Omnath's got lots of ways of beating it, like Leyline of Binding, Solitude, all this sort of stuff, Teferi to bounce into your hand. So investing lots of resources in it is kind of difficult. It's not like the easiest thing to, to, to get away with. And Underworld Breach is kind of not effective on turn three, but on turn eight, where Murktide is a liability. Like, it's just a dorky creature. It's just going to eat one of the removal spells that's been sitting in their hand. Underworld Breach like gets you on board and gets you card advantage, all in one, all in like a one one turn play, and so it's better against you know opponents who are going to like stack their hands full of you know, removal spells for Merktides, and be sitting there waiting for you to play one. It's also better yeah. against cards like Endurance, because like you know you obviously your graveyard gets rebuilt gradually over time. So if they've played their Endurance to stop your Merktide and shut you down a little bit early, you can rebuild and later in the game, your where your Merktide that you might build back up to is not effective, your your breach is. That and sounds so, really weird to me. Really interesting yeah, that you say, say it this way, because I was about to mention that I was always thinking, always viewing breach as a much weaker card versus endurance, where it actually matches up kind of poorly against it, while Merktide regions always goes around it, right? Because the region forces them to use endurance proactively, preemptively right. and it's like really from my perspective as the player with the endurance i always had trouble with timing that getting good value out of the endurance and once mechtide was already in play endurance was almost a blank piece of well, cardboard i couldn't even yeah. shuffle it's an interesting dynamic and, maybe, and so maybe maybe i've just been having you know, a small a small advantage advantageous interaction by 
you know, subverting people's expectations. Like there's a people will mm. just play play their endurance on turn three or turn four to shut down that Merktai that could be there. I see, but, I see. That, that makes sense. Yeah. They, they play around Merktides and then you get them with breach because you, eventually you rebuild. Yeah, and that and the rebuild spot wouldn't be a good spot for Merktide necessarily because the game is mm -hmm. you know evolved beyond that point. But it means you go to go, you know, Dragon Rage Channel or Bauble, Bauble, Lightning Bolt you or Bauble, Bauble, Sleight of Hand or Slash Consider. And yeah, if they, if they know you have breach, they can just use endurance as effectively a counter spell for breach. That's also a free for flash, flash, uh, which, is, which is why uh, some people have actually asked me this uh, why don't you just play breaches rather than merc tides? And my answer is well, in game one, I want that turn three fast threat just to be you know, proactive and powerful, and then it also means that post board you don't really know which one I'm going to be. And the answer is I'm actually both, you know, I have like one or two merc tides and I have one or two breaches. and you you just have to play the way you play, and you get a little bit of mileage like that. But yeah, I, I think the value think, in splitting. That's, that's pretty cool. Sound. I think my logic yeah, is. Yeah, I, I like your logic. I like the like argument for splitting and like diversifying and being better against the yeah. like potential hate and making it really really awkward because when when you have to expect both of the cards and like I don't know what to do with the endurance. Well, this well, this is this is right, and and. Trying to find ways to make endurance a little bit awkward. I, I already kind of felt like endurance is a kind of awkward card. Like it's kind of dorky. I agree. And I don't. I'm after the first kind of week or two of endurance. People endurancing me. I was kind of like, actually, this kind of sucks. Like it doesn't really matter at all. I'll just beat you anyway. And Legis Random change change things significantly in that respect. Um, but yeah, against the card specifically endurance, like having that 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 mix of things is pretty powerful. I, I had another point I was going to make. Um, yeah, I really just don't think the argument for being like fair breach in game one is particularly strong. I just Merktide is so powerful in this kind of as a, a in your best draws and this proactive things, and all your cards are kind of your deck is built to to take advantage of the thing that it does. You know, you have spell pierces and counter spells and spot removal spells, so you're really good at getting ahead and staying ahead. And breach just doesn't do that at all. It's like tries to play along the game. That makes sense. Yeah. I feel like the same exact same way about living end and trying to have your main deck be as streamlined as possible because people don't have great interaction for you in game one. Usually. Yeah, right. Like when, when you have your, if you're building your living end deck and you've got lots of, you know, brazen borrowers and this sort of stuff, maybe like lots of subtleties or whatnot, like your game one's got to go down. Your game one win percentage has to drop pretty significantly because you're not just doing your absurd leading a thing as effectively. It hasn't yeah. dropped someone. No, I've been liking good. subtlety in the main deck of Living End because Teferi is the card that people do main deck. Right? Like everyone who has a Teferi has it in the main deck, right? So Right. Yeah, maybe I, maybe maybe subtlety was not, not the example I'm looking for, but uh, And still still a creature that goes into your graveyard eventually, but of course like I guess it's it is baseline less uh less consistent than like more cyclers. But Teferi, Teferi and Karn being in many decks make me kind of like subtlety, even main deck. Yeah, actually, I agree with that. Right now, I have one subtlety in my main. It's my only, like, non-cycling card. It's, you know, I don't have Brazen Boar. I don't have the Turtle. I don't have Fury. I have one subtlety, and I agree that it's, you know, it's it solves the ish, the problems that you could have in game one. So it's like that plus auto war. It's not much. You have grief and force of negation, of course, too. So, um, but uh, yeah. You've been playing a bunch of living end, right? 
yeah, I guess we can we can maybe finish the, the top nine or ten and then talk a bit about living in. So, all right, because I had a question for you, but let's go with the yeah. Let's wrap because other decks, I'm not sure we have too much to say about. It's like Omnath just below fifty percent. Burn an honorable forty nine percent for Burn. Modern Green Tron. Sorry. The gentleman's fifty percent. Yeah, Modern Green Tron fifty one percent. Yog. I guess Yag was the deck of the event, 56.7%. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yagwa was pretty insane, I think. Yeah, Team of Rhinos did poorly, 48%. And then I guess if you add up both Hammer, Mono White Hammer, and Azorius Hammer, it's it's a you know top 10 archetype and did it, did it really poorly as well, which I'm not surprised personally that Rhinos and Hammer have been kind of talking trash about these two decks in past weeks, even almost yeah. months. And Rhinos has always has been terrible. Hammer felt like it was pretty good at one point in time, but Rhinos has never been good. Yeah. So, you want to talk real quick about Yacht, maybe, Cancer? I don't yeah. know if you've been playing the deck or if you saw it a bit, a lot on camera, or, you know, obviously Xerk. I think Xerk yeah, is from have... Poland, right? And you probably talked to him a bit. Yes, yes. Zerk also top at this event in, in Bologna. Together with uh, another Yogmov player. So there has been two Yogmov players in the top eight. And the deck received uh, upgrades from Lord of the Rings, right? Three new cards. Halfling, just making the mana dorks dying to Renan 6 not really an issue anymore. Orkish Bowmaster, which is just a good card and two bodies for convoking. And like I think you can sacrifice to Greece, pretty awesome card. And then two copies of the one ring, or like two free copies of the one ring, which is just extra mid-range power. And uh, like it's very, very nice index that can draw towards a combo, which Yokmov has in it. So like it's got it's got and a lot of new cards, and Zerk has been tearing it on online and in Bologna too. And often when I see Yogmov, I I am very impressed by the thing it can things it can do and uh, stuff that it can pull pull off. And uh, certainly right now, y- uh, Young Wolf was already an issue for Ragavan, and it made it very awkward in the matchup. But now with both Young Wolf and Orkish Bowmasters, Ragavan is just plainly like terrible, blank against the deck. Which is also a nice upside to have. I still don't cut all of them. Yeah. No, I refuse. It's too good. But yeah, good. I, 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 I think your most impresses me as well. It's uh, I was very interesting and in close games, and it definitely gained the most from Lord of the Rings. Like, it just picked up the three best cards in the set, all go straight into it, and are really effective. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a, that's kind of a big element of where it's getting its power. Yeah. You, you're saying you keep in Ragavan on the draw against them? Yeah, maybe not on the draw. All right. But on the play, I'll definitely keep like two, two or three in. Yeah. No, I, I, I used to not mind it, you know, make them have the young wolf and even seriously, if they yeah, do. Seriously. Dude, can... like, if they're trying to, like, if they, if they want to put, like, devoted halfling in front of her, you just burn it and kill them. Like, if they just don't have it, you just actually get such a massive advantage against them and the matchup becomes really easy if you connect. So. Yeah. I and the explore like dorky things like cast as well. I, I used to get pretty tilted when people suggested I should cut Ragavan against 
yeah against hammer because they have memnites and that's for sentinel and stuff yeah. like i used to go i went through this 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 thing with yorgmoff about a year ago where i would i kept trying to figure out what the best plan was and i kind of had all these outrageous things where i'd cut all my all my creatures and i would bring in all these all these removal spells and hope that that would work and then i realized if i just sideboarded nothing i was just winning a lot and i would just kill them with flyers and it would be great it's Actually, a pretty common yeah. thing you just yeah. you just sideboard and then you realize okay then you stop and think okay do i actually make my deck better yeah exactly. like, well, not not really not necessarily yeah and I, I i actually went through the same thing with hammer with the gaps describing where i was kind of like i went through that phase of like i should cut all these things again mem blocked by mem knights like why like why should i do that i should just yeah put pressure on them Specifically, do you, do you do you at least bring in a card like Hearse against um, Yogg, for instance, or no, not I even? I never bring in Hearse against Yogg. They, they don't rely on the graveyard enough anymore. Worry about that. I'm not worried about getting comboed. I'm worried about getting just kind of mid ranged out where they just build a board and kill me with the creatures they have. For the most part, the matchup is really about Dragon Rage's Channeler and and Ledger Shredder and Merc Tide as well. Obviously, it's just about kind of getting up in the air and killing them. Yeah, keeping them off balance a little bit, like having a spell pierce here and there, keeping Gris off the table. And obviously spell pierce doesn't count as Gris, but you know, spell pierce to stop him courting or one ringing and you know, just you know, lightning bolts and unholy heats and counter spells and, and just clocking them basically. And so if you don't have a draw that can clock them, then you're in a lot of trouble. So which is why I, I keep some ragabats in in the play at least. Alright, alright. All right, yeah, you you had questions about living end canister. Yes, I've seen that uh, you posted on Twitter.com about trying out a eleven land version of living end. I did not get to catch your stream when you did that, so I was interesting to hear how it went. Yeah, I tried. It was gonna be ten, but then I decided to be reasonable and do eleven lands along with the 12 land cyclers, so the Oliphants, which is the red one, the Ant, the green one, and the Troll, which is the black one. And yeah, the idea was to cheat on lands, make sure that as long as you have one land in your opening hand, you're gonna always have a, a stack graveyard, because you're not drawing lands, you're just drawing land cyclers and your regular cyclers. And also just be able to get double black more consistently to cast grief on turn four so what was your mana base what were those 11 lands i think it was like basic allen basic forest and then i had three of each um you know so i, I think i had the six dual lands the six shock lands island forest i think i had two fast lands that's 10 and then mm -hmm. i had one auto war still Oh wow! And so you only had wait, what shocklands did did your trolls only get watery graves? I had six. Okay. I had the six blue, red, green, black. Uh, you know, I had the the six non-white shocklands. One oh, each. okay, okay. So they I could see, each I get three, which meant you didn't really run out. And I guess in the case of the the ant, you could get the basic forest too. That makes that makes more sense. So you actually have some mana fixing aspect on your cards. Yeah, and 
we tried to theorize it with math and stuff, but I think it's really hard because there's just so many things that change and that you have to factor in. You know, you've got the obvious one is how often do you have at least one land? So that's kind of the basic. And then the if nice... you have 11 lands in your 60 card deck, then you are only 78% to have a land in your opening seven. Yeah, so you pretty much have to, that's like 20 22% mulligan right there where you have zero landers. Yeah. You, you basically can't keep a zero lander unless you, you know you have four street rate and you're on the draw, and even then it, it might be a little sketch because you, you might miss and you just start the game at 12 or whatever. But, um, You're also trying to to street trade into a land in a deck that's yeah. fifty three cards and eleven lands. So yeah, that's what like, I'm saying. You, at if, least, you know, four street trade. But the okay. upside is that you're way less likely to have you know a four or five land hand. So you have to factor that in, and then there's the whole like color issues. There's the fact that um, you know you have to these spots where you would. Be able to cast your cascade spell on turn three, but instead you draw a land sector and you have two land cycle to get your third land. And... That's the biggest downside to me, I think. Yeah. There... Having to cycle to find that third land is just. Yeah, there's there's also a little. Try you can cycle on turn two, which oftentimes you will. Yeah. And um... it's an issue if you're if you're top decking and if Gap had. 11 lands and and how many cyclists again was it 12 12 yeah all 12 at some point so it is actually like 23 uh quote unquote uh lands right which is much more than traditional living and like 19 or 20. yeah exactly so like having 23 is kind of kind of a lot and like once you once you get through that uh narrow like passage of having the first one then it should be pretty pretty easy how did it go it didn't go very well overall i would say i was not impressed just too many mana issues too many mulligans you do have some nice upsides you know you have more colored spells so you have more black cards for grief um you get to pitch your blue cards to force and subtlety more often because you don't have to cycle them. And the six drops they do they do hit pretty hard. But yeah, overall it felt it felt pretty rough. I was not super impressed. I then tried to keep the black and the red land sector. So I was playing four green and then two and two and I went up to 14 lands. And I still felt like the black mana was not worth it. You know, I did get some yeah. cool spots where I cast Grief, suspended living in, and it, it was good and stuff. But overall, it was, I think it was just still a downside. Yeah, at that point, you're playing like two trolls for like two swamps in your deck. Yeah, something like and, that. Uh, kind of awkward. At that point, probably better to revert to the uh, tech of, uh, how is that land called? Sunken Ruins. Yeah, exactly. That's that's where I'm at right now. I'm back to 14 lands with just four green, four red land cyclers. I'm not even sure it's optimal. Maybe, maybe my first instinct of you know 15 lands plus six was was right. I'm not sure what Menina is doing these days, but you know I felt like 11 was not that far off. So it feels like it could make sense to have um, 14, 14 and eight. 
I like I, I have the sunken runes you mentioned. I have the Autowara, I have some fast lands. So yeah, this is this is kind of my main deck right now. The the one subtlety right now is a card I, I like the most. I think if you're gonna play a non-cycling card, still pretty high on Waker of Waves. And then I've been trying Fable of the Mirror Breaker after sideboard because I feel like a lot of decks get pretty mopey against you. They have a lot of hate. You know, people have so much incidental hate against you because a deck like Scam is going to have Chalice and Leyline and Blood Moon and sometimes like Necromancia. And, um, you know, it's going to become like Necromancia's incidental hate. That feels very intentional. Yeah. Um, you know, a deck like Hammer Time has the relics and four magistrates usually and ways to protect your magistrate so things get pretty rough in in some matchups same for omnath and i've been trying just fable as a as a way to to combat that just fable into fury fable into the six drops and i've kind of liked it so far it's it's hard to say because to do that i've had to trim on Foundation Breakers, or Subtlety, or Fury, or not have Disputes. So, you know, if, if these Fables, if I was just, you know, keeping the classic approach of bringing the cards that you really need and just trying to, like, power through and still kill them fast, would I be doing better? Maybe. Um, but it, it's it's been at least fine, you know. If, if people like this deck and are looking for... For something new to try, I think it's it might be worth a try, honestly. Did you ever get to ramp into your powerful monsters with Fable, effectively? Yeah, a few times, but there's also, you know, you're not a very good Fable deck. You know, you don't have a ton of interaction in the first few turns. At one point, we're actually theorizing to, you know, not cascade into living anymore and just cascade into, you know, there's the rhinos, which is a classic, but rhinos get stopped by chalice. So we were trying to figure out what was the best two drop. And there's just <laughs> nothing alive. good. Yeah. Go if a violent, violent outburst into Orkish Bowmasters. Let's go. Yeah. Go if might be the best one. You've got territorial cabo. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> There's been a Rhinos deck with with Territorial Cavu, I think. There was a deck like that, which had, like, oh, it had Rhinos, but it also had Cavu. <laughs> what could be better than 2 4 4? 1 4 4. Yeah, yeah. So, so like, you, you never knew if your Charles actually is going to do anything, but mm. neither neither did the Rhinos player because they also had no idea what's going to come from that. I, I, love the idea sure by, that. I love the idea of trying to circumvent Charles by just casting 3 man 4 4. <laughs> That'll get him. Yeah, Jose, who's one of my you know viewers, was subs. His qualified for the PT was trying to get me to try Bloom Tender, which is the one-one mana dork that taps for as many colors as permanents you have. What? Wait, what? What? How? Yeah, what for? I, I was like, yeah, I'm not doing that in a Bowmaster format. No, thank you. No, no, no. But like, scrap Bowmaster. Why? Because you have only yes, five and six drops, you're just, yeah. you know, you play Charlotte's Agent and then your Bloom Tender taps for two or three mana. That's for two mana. Not if you evoke uh, a Fury and you tap it on the stack. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. I've seen, I see you've been going deep. But yeah, I was running into issues. I see where Fable, you know, sometimes it's pretty mopey when your deck's not build around. I play it and then 
you know, they have an endurance to block my two two, and they have a bowmaster, so it's kind of awkward for me to loot. It was a bit of a territorial cover. But 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 it is really good in the games where you know maybe they mulligan a little aggressively to find their hate card, and then they drew like maybe two or three of their hate card, and I like then, I like then... the idea. I like the idea of just juking in those spots. I I, I mean, if they have Fluster storms, like it, it stops, it gets around Fluster storm as well. I like it in theory, but just like make a two-two, discard some bad cards, draw some bad cards is not really gonna yeah. solve anything. Did yeah. I tell you about the technology in Living End that I was trying out, which seemed to be not very good of leyline binding in the sideboard with like one triumph in the sideboard? Yeah, I think we talked so about maybe, it last time. I think so. So maybe you could pair the leyline binding. With the, with triumph technology with your fables, and then you're gonna address your issue of not having enough early interaction with fable, and mm -hmm. it's all gonna make more 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 sense. Maybe a couple of math in my sideboard. Just sideboard. This is just turning the scam board. <laughs> yeah. Give briefs. It's good. So I've been I've been trying that out. Um, and I'm, I'm, yeah, as I said, I'm I'm not convinced it's better than just jamming a million subtlety slash fury slash endurance foundation breaker force of vigor all these like i think good cards because because when you sideboard like that you can still you know if they have a mopey draw you can still cast your your cards and beat them down was yeah yeah i, I was, was about cool. to say i certainly won games with like endurance end of turn and then subtlety their play to the top of their deck and then you just kind of attack for six and they die and then you then you play curator and it's absolutely over yeah, especially yeah. if they're loading up with cards like Davin's Veto and Chalice and Moonlight, which do nothing. You know, they play like super reactive and you just punish them. Uh... So, yeah, I've been playing mostly that. A bit of Goryeo. I tried a league with the Trash for Treasure Monorite deck, and I, I, mm -hmm. I didn't make it past the first matches. I think it was just too ambitiously built for for my liking. Just mm. Zero and drop. Yeah. That's always a good sign. Um, you know, obviously my, my teammates we've been testing also internal. I'm I'm not gonna go, you know, I've tried to ke keep it to, you know, the few decks that I like to play on stream and not give anything away. So hopefully no one was hoping for me to just spell the the sick technology uh we've been yeah. growing up as a team. They're actually all playing back tied. Yeah. But it's kinda of, it's you know, it's it's a little tricky to to keep, you know, Saying bit without giving too much away, answering people's question. Um, I guess do you have that problem, Canister, right now? Or I don't. <laughs> no, I know you're not qualified. I wasn't it wasn't I wasn't trying to give you a beat. I was saying maybe you have you're part of a testing group of a few people who are qualified for the PT and I'm not yeah. sure what your exact situation is. I do I do hang out in like the Discord of the teammates of from the sewer rats uh, team and i do chime in with some like ideas but it is i guess maybe a little bit of an issue but for the most part it is a modern tournament and uh, i expect most technology to come from the pool of existing technology like rather than like it's not as undiscovered as it tends to sometimes be in standard tournaments so like i don't think it's a big deal yeah yeah I i'm honestly like not sure uh 
I feel like, I mean, I'm hoping we're making progress. And then once we all like get together and we'll, we'll have, we'll have it mostly figured out, but. I, yeah, I have a question. How much, how much of the concern over kind of secrecy amongst the group of people that you test with, do you think stems from the fact that they're all relatively well-known players? And so finding out what, what they, they might be playing has like relatively significant effects on a metagame. Whereas if just finding out random tournament player X, random PT player is going to play some deck doesn't really move the needle at all. Do you think that's where the kind of made, the concern comes from? Because I, I get the feeling from Canister that he doesn't really mind and the people he's testing, who he's involved with, don't really seem to mind that much. Yeah, I've thought about this a bit and I feel like, you know, someone like me might think they have more impact than they actually really have. I feel like I actually, and that might be, so where I get that from is that sometimes I'll look at people playing decks that I've been playing a lot. Like, you know, when I play a lot of blue-white control or blue-black control or this or that, and I'll see lists of people playing in tournaments and, you know, they're just not even, you know, copying my list or not coming close or they're playing cards that, you know, I disagree with. So I'm like, wow, that, you know, I'm there streaming that deck every day, you know, one of the bigger bigger magic streamer and i've played that deck a lot and that person's playing that archetype and they're like you know just doing their thing they, they couldn't care less about what i think maybe they don't even know i stream or they don't care or they don't have the time to watch so um yeah i think you know i probably don't have you know that it's not that as big as a deal as you might think it is yeah i agree with that sentiment it's kind of easy to assume that you have like a humongous influence over the over the world or like the tournament but it's just often not the case and like oftentimes i'll i'll spend like a week uh, you know i see that even just on my daily streams i spend a week playing like a certain deck then i switch to like a different deck on, on the next day people will come and you know they'll be, they're gonna be asking hey Kind of said, have you ever tried deck X that you've been streaming for the past week? But I don't actually know about it because I don't watch everything that you do. Because how could I humanly do that? And you know, it just makes sense, right? People just kind of get slivers of what you what you present on the internet, oftentimes. And when you're seeing uh, how they can humanly do that, are you referring to the horrendous music you play, and it's humanly impossible to just watch your stream for a long period of time? No, I meant that people have lives and like commitments oh, and okay, like, have to do, <laughs> and like they they would want to listen to some gachimuchi or some like nice <laughs> tunes of other varieties for sure, but Oof. they don't always get them. Uh, yeah. Also, Gab, I see you in the chat pretty often, mm. and you you just like the music. I know you enjoy it. Like it's pretty cool, right? I don't mind most of your music. The really aggressive, like obvious, obviously obnoxious music. I, <laughs> it's a little rough, but um, you also have some like normal songs here and there. So. Yeah, yeah, you get used to it too. So, yeah, like it's it's just like you know, at first you you find something repulsive, then you you actually it grows on you, and then then you're like, huh, actually, I enjoy it. Yeah, that's it's how it works. Is that the Dunning-Kruger effect, or that's something else? Like, no, it's something entirely different. Okay. That's, that, 
that's what yeah, your perception and your own ability kind of maximizes when you're at the middle of your competence, basically. Like you think you're bad, then you learn something and you're like, oh, I'm amazing. And then uh, you get expert, you're like, actually, I, I know nothing. <laughs> what's the one where you, like the more you yeah, watch someone, thinking, oh. you get used to it and you enjoy it more, even if, you know. Stop it. Think of like the Pavlovian uh, no, condition syndrome, where like you, oh, you like become friends with your prisoner, with your cap, with your like, your captor, your kidnapper. Mm. All right. Well, well, but I'm not I'm not trapping anyone. And, like, uh, you're trapping yourself. Sure, but not the viewer. But the Pavlovian thing is, you just kind of you know, you you have a dog and you like uh, shock it, like you give it a treat, and then you shock it. And if you do it enough times, then it's gonna like associate getting shocked with getting a treat. So it's actually gonna start to expect that and like kind of be okay with that, or maybe like the, not okay, but the, you know react react in the like way that's connected to the treat to the shock. Yeah, the the original Pav Pavlov's dog anecdote is about ringing a bell and feeding the dog. So when you ring the bell, the dog just starts salivating at the expectation of food prior to you actually giving any food. And I think that's the original story. But that's it less also, gruesome. It is less cruel. Yeah, maybe that's, that's what my dad told me. Well, sounds like we should start a whole other podcast. Yeah, str strange anecdotes and how they connect to gachi music. Yeah, sounds like we might be out of modern talk, or is there anything else you guys want to talk about uh, this week? Nah, I reckon I'm good. All right, I guess it's time to put our life on the line. For those of you who don't know what Life on the Line is, it's a tournament. If you win, you live. If you lose, you die. And we each have to bring one deck um, from a format we talked about. So this week it's going to be modern only. Um, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, sit that one out or just say living end. Uh, don't, don't expect me to be like, yeah, this is what I would play at the PT if the PT was tomorrow. But... Um, I'll see. I'll see what I, what I do. Well, let's start with who wants to go first. Canison. Why don't? Oh, sorry. Right, Pat, go. No, no, Canison no, can go. Canison can go. I, I wonder what Pat's gonna play. Like a huge, huge yeah. mystery. I was just gonna get it out of the way. Canister is probably the more interesting one. Yeah. Uh, so right now, seeing the win rate of uh, Jogmov at the Bologna tournament, I would first book a multi-hour coaching session with Zerk work through through uh, my issues with the deck and like learn it and then i would put my life on the line with yogwaf is he qualified yeah. for the pt yes do you think he would coach people uh, even though he's qualified well for a different tournament right oh. because we, like we're discussing life life on the line tournament and right, like no one's killing you if you lose the pt <laughs> yeah yeah all right pat why don't you go next mm. I'm compelled by this Yogmoth thing, but I'll play Murktai instead. Um, yeah, I actually played I played against uh, Mengu on stream this morning, and uh, he was playing Grixis like, you know, Murktai with uh, main deck Underworld Breach and uh, Bowmasters, so splashing back for Bowmasters. It was pretty powerful. I might give that deck a try, but I wouldn't put my life on the line with it. Just play, play what I've been playing. Did he still have Murktai in the list? He had no. He had. He just had like three or four underworld breaches, okay. which I yeah I disagree with. But it was pretty good against me. <laughs> so so Grixis fair breach kind of. Yeah, it was Grixis fair breach, and it was good against me. And he he yeah. wrote me. 
I agree. I played against that deck once, and I think I had Ragvan in my deck, and it was not yeah. enjoyable to. It was rough. Eh? <laughs> I yeah. realized. But I'm going to assume he's not playing a tournament and not playing that deck. All so right. I'll just play both tied. I would play. I would just, you know, be confident in my ability to find the perfect configuration for a living end, and surely that will, you know, channel my inner Menina A, come up with the perfect living end list, and, uh, Live through the day. Maybe it's 14 lands, 7 cycles, 2nd Ottawar. Yeah, exactly. If only I can pin down the perfect amount of lands and land cyclers and numbers of Solotian Furies and, you know, the, the classic, like, if I change these two or three cards. Yeah, exactly. I will wake up tomorrow morning. <laughs> yeah. So, how long until the PT is two weeks, right? Yeah, the PT is in two weekends, and deck lists are due in, like, 13 days. It's nice to see that you're already, like, eyeball deep in stress. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm literally, like, anxious walking around my house, like, doing nothing. I'm like, yeah, it's... I can oh, feel like... The yeah. PT's back, baby! It's back. So is that actually what you're doing, or are you uh, humorously... No, no, I think I'm, like, legitimately, like more stressed about like everything in general right now or more just you know a little more anxious just because you know that's in the back of my mind and i want to i need to figure out what's good and there's just a modern it's just so hard to tackle do you get a peace of mind or like a stronger peace of mind when you settle on a deck and like what you have to figure out is the exact build or plans or is it still the same sure. strength What's bringing peace of mind right now is that I know I have a great team and you know we I can rely on them and I think we'll at least come to something like reasonable. So mm. yeah. Anyways, I think we're ready to wrap up. That you made it this far, as always. Thank you so much for listening. Um, Pat, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me anywhere on the internet at get underscore smart. Also, I want to, since we didn't do this at the beginning of the show, I want to plug the Discord. We have a midweek betting game Discord, and you can also find me there every now and then posting things. I'm posting, but I'm the only person posting. Yeah. You can come hang out with me. But I assume that if you've made it this far in the episode, you're actually interested in these sort of things. Yeah, it's true. We do have the Discord. I was never active in it. It was mostly Harry and, and Pat. I'm not sure if Cam Now it's just me. Just yeah. posting solo. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Canister? I haven't posted yet. I'll post something right now. <laughs> but you can find me on, on twitch.tv slash canister underscore mtg. Cool. And you can find me on twitch.tv slash yellowhead streaming most days. Canister and I actually have the same day off. Maybe we need to to change that. I know it brings a lot of uh, a lot of pain and despair to a lot of people that we both don't stream on Wednesday. Mm, yeah, it's partially because I, uh, I'm i syncing Wednesdays with the downtimes on Moro too, because the downtimes also happen on Wednesday always. So that way I never have the uh, unpleasant experience of trying to stream and getting robbed of my stream by the platform not being available. It's, it's, it is a good point. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> All right. Um, well, we have streams arena, so maybe you should do that, I guess. Sometimes when I need to. Um, oh, yeah. oh, speaking of, I think tomorrow there's like, I think there's a qualifier this weekend. I might play some plans tomorrow. Anyways, 
Um, yeah, well, what format is that? It's limited, so it's I think sealed deck, mm, and then it's terrible. Um, I mean, it's practice for the PT2, it's limited, so it's not hard. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, hope you all have a great week, and we'll see you next time. Take it easy. See you. <laughs>